we are in a race. The race is against time. I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every time. Don't be one of those people 20 years from now are gonna be walking around in a nine to five job, miserable and angry and bitter. Welcome to Sound Conversations. Welcome to Sound Conversations podcast. I'm happy to introduce Ryan Pennington to our listeners. Ryan is the Director of Communications for Chateau St. Michel Wine Estates. Previously, Ryan has held many impressive roles, such as Communications Director of the Washington State Wine Commission. We'll hear more about that. Director of Public Affairs at MWW Group, Strategic Communications Consultant, as well as the Washington State Director for the Democratic National Committee. Ryan, welcome. Thank you, Chris. Can you tell our listeners about your role and the journey that led you to where you are today? As you said, uh, I am currently Director of Communications for St. Michelle Wine Estates. Uh, in that role, I'm responsible for our uh, public relations efforts across our luxury wine portfolio and a segment of our imported wine portfolio. Uh, and I also handle our government relations and some of our corporate communications. Been with the company uh, about five and a half years now. And prior to that, as you mentioned, was director of communications for the Washington State Wine Commission. I held that role for just shy of five years. Uh, so I've been in the wine industry now a little over 10 years uh, and certainly ha feel like I've found my calling. And I love the industry. I love uh, St. Michelle and, and the work I'm doing and plan on being here a long time. Speaking of being here for a long time, Sato St. Michelle has been here for 50 years. It's the oldest winery in Washington State, am I correct? We are Washington's founding winery, yeah. That's terrific. That's great work. Can you take us behind the scenes and walk our listeners through what this 50th anniversary uh, in 2017 meant for your customers, for your team, and your company? I know it was a big monumental event. Uh, what was it like being there uh, at uh, the Chateau for the 50th anniversary? It, it was certainly very exciting and um, really gave the sense that you were not only celebrating history, but part of history. Uh, and we made a great effort over the course of the year in celebrating our 50th anniversary to make clear that we have no intention of slowing down. We're very much celebrating the future in addition to commemorating the past. But we, throughout the year, had the opportunity to meet and collect memories from people who have been with the company much longer than I have and uh, have since retired from the company and hearing some of the stories of uh, the challenges and and successes that the company faced uh, in the early years uh, was really interesting and and motivating and um, really just makes me proud to be part of one of the Northwest signature companies. Can you share any of those stories that stood out to you when, when, you, uh, uh, when you were there meeting these folks that were part of the early days of the Chateau? One story that stands out is, uh, and it has a bit of a tie to another Northwest uh, institution, our 
president and CEO, Ted Basler, this was a few years ago, had the opportunity to meet former Seahawks quarterback Jim Zorn at uh, an event at the winery. And Jim was walking around and looking at the building very intently and happened to mention to Ted that he was actually involved in constructing the winery. So the, the company dates back 50 years, but the, the current facility was built in 1976. And that was the year that Zorn was drafted for the expansion Seattle Seahawks. And um, being the time that it was, professional athletes weren't exactly paid what they are today. So he had to find work uh, before the Seahawks started training camp and Part of that was working construction to help build Chateau Saint Michel. Uh, so that that was that was a, a a memorable tidbit that certainly stuck with me. That's very cool. Now, did he point out the the part of the chateau <laughs> that he actually? Put I, up? I don't know what part of the building he was responsible for. I'm sure Ted told him that it was the most well constructed part of the building, but um, a pretty cool story nonetheless. Well, uh, Ryan, one of the things that I'm fascinated by is that your Chateau, uh, Chateau Saint-Michel, is also responsible for one of the most incredible concert series in our area, and that's the Summer Series, Summer Concert Series. Um, would you be able to walk our listeners through that have not had a chance to participate or attend one of these events? What is it like? Um, I know there's a lawn. I know there's a stage. I know there's some wine. But what is that like being there? and enjoying these events? It um, has now been running uh, over 30 years. Uh, started out very small and has grown consistently over the years. We range between 20 to 30 concerts per year. Uh, but it's, it's a great place to see a show. Uh, it is uh, an outdoor amphitheater. So uh, we hold concerts regardless of the elements. Um, but we've had some amazing talent come through over the years. But it's, it's uh, still a very intimate experience. And we've heard from the artists that have come through that it's one of the venues they most enjoy playing because of that intimacy with the audience. Certainly wine is a big part of it. Um, but it's, we don't look at it primarily as a wine selling tool. It's really about creating an experience with our customers and uh, an excuse for them to come to the chateau and hopefully enjoy our wine, but also enjoy great music and great company. That's terrific. Sounds like a must-see must and must-attend event. Sounds like you were also involved with the Washington Wine Commission. What is the Washington Wine Commission and, and what was your work there like? The Wine Commission is essentially the marketing agency that is responsible for promoting all of Washington wine. So it is a state government agency under the Washington State Department of Agriculture, but it operates with industry funds. So the industry essentially has decided to tax itself uh, and dedicate those funds to the promotion of Washington wine generally. They execute events all over the country and in some international markets, building awareness for Washington wine and educating wine media and the wine trade about the great quality of Washington wine. And uh, my work there was on the public relations side. So I worked with media all over the country and around the world, 
telling the story of, of Washington wine. And um, one of the things I most enjoyed about that was, of course, you can't tell a story until you know the story. So I had the opportunity to travel across the state and meet uh, hundreds of our state's grape growers and winemakers and really learn the stories of the individuals who have made this industry what it is today. We have an incredible industry, but we have an incredible group of people who have built Washington wine um, from really this novelty to um, one of the most dynamic and important wine regions in the world. It's been amazing to be a part of that and to witness it uh, for the 10 years that I've been a part of the industry. But um, as I said, it's, it's just incredibly humbling to be part of something bigger and to feel like you're part of building a legacy. Sounds incredible. Um, with, with your time at the Washington Wine Commission, did you also have to travel abroad and, and take the message to uh, other countries? I did. Okay. Uh, I was responsible for some market exploration in uh, India wow. on behalf of Washington Wine and some of the Northern European and Scandinavian markets, um, and a bit in uh, some of the, the Canadian provinces as well. Uh, as much as people in the Northwest may be uh, entirely familiar with Washington wine and feel like we're uh, conquering the world, I can tell you the further you get from Washington, uh, the more you realize we still have a long ways to go. Uh, as most, you know, startups find, I think uh, it, there's incredible competition in almost every market around the world, and um, and it's humbling to put yourself out there sometimes, and uh, hopefully it it only inspires you to come back and and be better at what you do and and compete for your share of that market. Yeah, that's that's terrific. Now, Ryan, you're. Um Talking about representing Washington wines across the world and really getting the brand out there, one of the things I've heard about, I'm not sure if this is factual, is that Washington wines are primarily enjoyed and, and kept in Washington. So the residents don't like to uh, share uh, <laughs> their, their fantastic wines with other parts of the world. Is, uh, is that a function of the demand in the local market for the great quality wines that we have? Uh, or is it just a function of the word isn't out quite yet in, in That's the a good question. I think the first thing that comes to mind, I think it's a reflection of really the makeup of the industry. And while Chateau Saint-Michel and Saint-Michel Wine Estates have been around a long time and, and have been at it a while and have built our business uh, to one of the most significant wine companies in the country, uh, if not the world, but most of the wine businesses in Washington are relatively small and as such most of their distribution is quickly taken up by consumers in the Northwest who have come to know and love Washington wine. So the number of Washington wineries that produce enough wine to even distribute outside the Northwest and therefore carry the message of Washington wine beyond our borders is a fairly small group. It's mm -hmm. not that there isn't demand for Washington wine across the country and around the world.
there certainly is. But right now, there's sufficient demand locally that a small business can quickly run through their inventory right here. Uh, so it's quite daunting to think about investing the time and the capital in building markets uh, further from home uh, when you're selling your, your whole inventory right here. Ryan, you are very accomplished. You've done a lot of interesting things in your life, uh, certainly with wine and also before the wine industry. But I have a question. What has helped you maintain this level of productivity? What's helped you uh, in, in your life uh, maintain uh, and, and continue to be a productive uh, and, and high-producing person? Well, I'm flattered that you assume that I am highly productive, but uh, if I can attribute uh, what whatever success I, I have been able to achieve to anything, it would be simply that uh, I'm a hard worker. Uh, I believe in the, um, the mantra that success is uh, 10% preparation and 90% perspiration. <laughs> uh, and I've been willing to um, really throughout my career um, put in the hours and do whatever it takes to uh, achieve what I need to achieve. Um, I also, though, very much believe in um, the fact that very few people achieve anything alone, uh, and I've always tried to be uh, a very collaborative um, colleague and coworker and manager and subordinate uh, throughout my career. And um, I think being open to working in a collaborative manner uh, really enhances what you're able to achieve beyond what you could do on your own. Well, that's wise words, wise words. Ryan, was a mentor involved in your life, in your professional life? And, and if there was, did they seek you out or did you seek them out? I don't know that I've had uh, one single person that has been a mentor for me uh, across the arc of my career, but I have certainly been very fortunate to have um, many great bosses and uh, have have learned a lot from those that I've worked for and worked with and have taken little bits uh, from each of them to uh, form my own philosophy about management and teamwork and uh, what it takes to succeed. But um, as I said, I, I think it, it's hard to point to anyone who uh, has achieved anything great entirely on their own. I think everyone owes uh, whatever level of success they've been able to have uh, to those that have helped them get there. Ryan, outside of your work, you also volunteer in several organizations, um, including the Washington State Historical Society, which uh, I would love to learn a little bit more about. Can you tell us about this group and, and your work in it? Sure. Well, the Historical Society has been... Um, in existence uh, since shortly after statehood um, and has been responsible for chronicling the history of our state and, and sharing that history with uh, our citizens and visitors to the state. Uh, they have an incredible collection of artifacts uh, that trace the arc of our state's history. Uh, they're probably best known for uh, the group being the group that is responsible for running the State History Museum in Tacoma, which 
uh, is on Museum Row next to um, the Chihuly Museum of Glass and, and others. Um, and it certainly is a beautiful uh, crown jewel of a building for our state that we're very happy to be stewards of. Um, we produce a number of exhibits that rotate through the museum uh, annually and ha have a standing exhibit that traces the history of the state from the end of the last ice age and some of the uh, incredible uh, geologic events that have literally shaped <laughs> Washington State uh, throughout um, the, uh, the First Peoples and their history here. Certainly the original settlers and the, the westward expansion uh, wow. into the Northwest, the excitement of the gold rush and um, what that really meant for Washington and specifically for Seattle uh, all the way through the current day. Uh, so it's, it's an organization I've been very happy to be a part of. Uh, I am just in my uh, fourth year as a trustee there, but uh, am very honored to be taking on uh, the presidency of the Board of Trustees uh, here very shortly. Oh, so congratulations. Forward, thank you. Yeah. I look forward to uh, quite a few more years of, of service for the, uh, the society. Ryan, um, what advice do you have for people that are looking to be more productive in their life and in their work? Obviously, you, you do a lot in your professional career and also your personal career with your volunteer work. What tips or tools would you share with people that uh, they can uh, be more productive in their lives? Well, again, I, I um, sometimes hesitate to think that I'm any great example of productivity, but um, in addition to just trying to uh, give 110% to every endeavor that I take on, uh, I try always, but sometimes with limited success, to be reasonable about the things that I take on uh, mm -hmm. such that I can devote the necessary energy to be successful in those things. I think where people run into trouble, at least from what I've seen, is when they stretch themselves too thin mm. uh, and such that no matter how hard you work, the 24 hours in a day only stretch so far uh, and it just isn't uh, enough to achieve what you want to achieve in all the areas that you're allocating yourself to. So as much as possible, I try to be realistic about mm. what I can accomplish in any given period of time and uh, manage that such that I have the bandwidth to apply myself toward whatever it is I'm doing at the moment. That's, that's incredibly sage advice. And one question that follows up on that is your life and work balance. And you're a father, husband, obviously all the work and the volunteering that you put into to your contribution uh, to the society as well as your, to your actual work. Uh, take away a little bit of that time. So how do you establish a, a life balance between your professional and personal responsibilities and your family? I think that's, uh, um, yeah. is it calendaring? Is it uh, scheduling? Is, is there? A it's a great question. I, you know, as much as I try to uh, manage the number of things that I take on, you know, that's obviously much easier to do in your professional realm than it is 
um, balancing uh, work and family. Um, one thing that I've tried to do and I feel like I've been fairly successful at is um, compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. So when I'm um, volunteering, for example, I, I dedicate the time to doing that in the moment and mm-hmm. not worry about you know, my email count piling up from work, you know. Th- so no that multitasking? Can be del- <laughs> yeah. That, well, you know, uh, certainly I can multitask when it comes to, to work, but I, I think um, for me, compartmentalizing and being in the moment um, at least contributes to a feeling like that you're, you're giving as much as you can of yourself to that particular element of your life. You know, at home I try to, as much as possible when I come home, uh, I'm home and spend time uh, with my wife and kids and at least wait until my kids have gone to bed before I pull out the computer and see how many more emails have piled up. But, um, <laughs> you know, certainly when I'm at work, I try to make work my priority. But to be honest, for me, family is always number one. Yeah. So if something happens during the day that, I need to turn my attention to family. I never hesitate to do that. So that's great. Um, I guess for me, compartmentalization has been uh, my key. Well, I appreciate you sharing it with us. Thank you, uh, Ryan. What is a book, a favorite book, a podcast, or movie documentary that you have shared with friends and family because of the fact that you enjoy it, uh, or that you've taken some lesson from it? Well, uh, since we're here taping a podcast, <laughs> I'll, I'll cite a podcast that I've uh, really enjoyed, and that is um, Levy Dalton, who is a sommelier in New York City, has started a podcast called I'll Drink to That, Okay, which is very similar to this, where it's an interview format with luminary personalities in the wine industry, uh, certainly much more luminary than myself, who have been um, really influential worldwide in shaping the wine industry and and what he's able to get some of these incredible personalities to share is just quite fascinating and he he's got a great um style as an interviewer and i i just have really enjoyed um that series beyond that i am a an avid consumer of news so i try to read as much of the new york times every day as i can um in terms of books I really enjoy uh, any kind of biography mm. uh, any recent ones there was you know it, it's quite wide-ranging the most recent one I read was um, a biography that's uh, quite a few years old now but of Jess Jackson who founded uh, Kendall Jackson winery oh wow um, it was quite interesting I try to have my biography focus outside of the wine industry but that was <laughs> one that caught my attention recently um there was the memoir of uh keith richards from the rolling stones Mm. which uh Mm. was pretty interesting but i I just really enjoy the um genre of biography and and hearing stories about people's lives and and uh, their reflections on it so what has inspired you in your life outside of biographies and books and and people that that uh, you come across in your day-to-day world what what's inspired you to to get into the wine industry to, again, be a productive um, member in, this, in the community? I guess for me, the element of 
legacy of, of being a part of something larger than yourself is always something that I'm attracted to. Um, I grew up on a, um, a family farm. I was the, the fifth generation uh, to grow up on the farm. And um, being able to look out my window every morning and see this land that my ancestors uh, worked to clear and to farm really made an impact on me and has, has been something that I've strived for really in every element of my life. You know, before I was in wine and in um, uh, public relations, I had the opportunity to work in um, public policy for a number of outstanding um, elected officials and that that feeling of being a part of something larger than yourself being of service to the community was incredibly important to me as I mentioned I'm I'm very grateful that in the Washington wine industry and certainly specifically for St. Michelle wine estates I feel like I'm a part of uh, an industry and a company that stands for more than just itself uh, and I find that incredibly uh, motivating and rewarding. Well, talking about uh, the winery business and the industry, you were mentioning that Chateau Saint-Michel represents other wines uh, and wineries in the United States. Is that right? In addition to Chateau Saint-Michel, which is certainly our, our flagship winery, we have several other wineries here in Washington State, but we also own Erath Winery, which is in Oregon and is the number one Pinot Noir from Oregon, which is Oregon's signature uh, grape variety. And then we have a small handful of wineries in California, uh, including Stag's Leap Wine Cellars, which was the winner of the uh, Judgment of Paris for Cabernet that um, was generally credited with putting American wine on the, um, on the world map. And then we're also uh, an import agent for uh, an incredible portfolio of wines from Italy, Spain, uh, New Zealand, Chile, and Champagne. So in your portfolio, which winery is the oldest winery you guys represent? Uh, we, we have the honor of being the exclusive importer for the Antonori family of wines from Tuscany. Piero Antonori uh, and his family are the stewards of, of that property and that, that portfolio that uh, have been making wine for over 600 years, wow. uh, 27 generations. Uh, they were literally contemporaries of the Medicis. <laughs> so when you talk about being you know, part of something larger than yourself, they certainly know much better than, than I do about uh, what that feels like. But uh, for our little piece uh, of being part of their family history, we're incredibly honored to represent their wines in the U.S. That, that it sounds like an incredible honor. Um, I would love to know their secret sauce to uh, <laughs> 27 years of continuing family-owned business. That sounds incredible. Yeah. yeah that's quite an accomplishment. Um, Ryan, in, in wrapping up, if you could go back in time and do it over again, what would you change, if anything, and why? I can't think of, off the top of my head, of anything in particular that I would change, but there is a, a particular, a very particular moment in my career that, um, that I often remember and, and certainly am always mindful of. And that is um, 
very shortly after I graduated from college, I had the opportunity to manage two state legislative races uh, in Washington State. In spite of being a political science major, uh, I had no political campaign experience whatsoever. Um, hadn't even volunteered on a campaign. All of my experience was uh, purely theoretical. And yet, these folks were confident enough in me to entrust me to help manage their campaigns. They had rented an office and had everything that I supposedly needed to manage these campaigns uh, there waiting for me. And I showed up uh, on the first day and um, walked into the office and no one was there. And it was just a computer, a phone, a fax machine, and a list of names. <laughs> and uh, I thought about it for a second and uh, very quickly realized I needed some help. And so I started calling people on the list of names and asked them to come in and volunteer and help me figure out how to run this campaign. Wow. And then you start down that path and you realize um, – okay, oh yeah, we've got all these great things of things we want to do. Um, how are we going to pay for this? <laughs> well, let's call the list of names and ask them for money. So um, eventually I figured it out and, and uh, had the opportunity to manage a couple more campaigns. But the, th the moment I always think back to whenever I'm interviewing someone for a job is picturing them walking into that office and being faced with, no clue what you're doing and a bunch of things you don't understand and whether or not they would fire up the computer and, and pull up Facebook or whether they would pick up the phone and start calling that list of names. My philosophy has always been to just dive into the deep end of the pool and swim your way out. And so that's a quality that I tend to look for in people that I'm interviewing. What is it about the wine at Chateau Saint-Michel and that has made uh, the company and, and the winery so successful? So one of the things that I think sets St. Michelle's portfolio apart from uh, our competition, particularly other larger wine portfolios in California and around the world, is the fact that we're very committed to maintaining a unique identity for each individual estate uh, or brand or property. And what I mean by that is what you find often is that when properties or labels come under uh, a common portfolio, that there is a tendency to um, centralize production of those wines, uh, perhaps in a central facility uh, with a single uh, common winemaking team um, sourced from many of the same vineyards. Uh, as you can imagine, what happens is everything begins to taste the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, really led by our president and CEO, Ted Basler, he has put forward a philosophy where we dedicate specific vineyards to specific brands and each winery has its own dedicated winemaking team wow. and they have the option to make the wines in a style that they see as the best interpretation of the vineyards that they're working with. 
So in spite of the fact that um, from a purely financial standpoint, uh, you do not get to realize some economies of scale that other larger producers take advantage of, we feel that the trade-off is we produce wines that are more reflective of the place where they're grown and the winemaking point of view of the winemaker that crafted them and hopefully hold greater appeal to uh, consumers seeking that authenticity in their wines. Chateau Saint-Michel is also involved with a charitable event. Yes, that, that is the Auction of Washington Wines. Auction of Washington um, Wines. It is the signature uh, charitable event for the Washington wine industry. Um, it is held uh, it, and has been for over 30 years at Chateau Saint-Michel every August. And um, it benefits both uh, Seattle Children's Hospital uh, specifically uh, uncompensated care for children there, and also the um, Washington State University uh, Wine Science Center at uh, the WSU Tri-Cities campus, which is um, really the hub of uh, viticulture and winemaking research to help drive the future of the Washington wine industry. Uh, so we're, we're very honored to be a part of that and to host that event every year and um, certainly very glad to see the industry come together to support uh, a great cause. That's, that's terrific. And I think this year you guys set a, a record in the fundraiser. I don't recall exactly the dollar amount, but it was, it was a significant amount that was raised through that event to benefit the Children's Hospital as well as the Washington State University uh, Wine efforts yeah we've, uh, we've been um, very fortunate the industry and um, uh, and our guests have been very generous and uh, our um, proceeds from that event have continued to grow uh, year over year and we expect them um, to only continue to do so now is this a public event that the public can attend and purchase a ticket and attend, or is this a private invitation only type of an event? It is absolutely a public event. Um, it's actually a series of events. Oh. So there's, um, it typically runs Thursday uh, to Saturday, and on Thursday there's a little more um, casual picnic style event with uh, a barrel auction of, of um, lots of wine made especially for this auction. Um, and then Friday, there is a series of winemaker dinners around the Puget Sound region uh, in private homes where people open their home and um, the region's best chefs and uh, are some of our state's best wineries team together to host winemaker dinners in these private homes and people can buy tickets to those. And then on Saturday is the, um, the signature gala, which is... Um, again hosted at Chateau St. Michel mm. um, with some incredible uh, exclusive lots of wine, uh, travel experiences, etc. And again, all of those are open to the public. Wow, that sounds like an incredible event to attend. Now, one other question, Ryan, is um, Seattle is a big craft brewing and cocktail um, community. Uh, there's a lot of 
folks that are not yet initiated into the wine culture and, and the experience. For those that are interested in learning more about wine and looking at um, getting involved and, and starting to learn and appreciate wine, what would you recommend as a starting point, either a book, um, an event, um, a wine? Seattle is also uh, very fortunate to have um, one of the country's best uh, wine tasting events, that being Taste Washington every March here in Seattle. It's one of the world's largest single region wine tasting events. Um, over 300 Washington wineries under one roof uh, for two days here in Seattle. Wow. So it is unquestionably the single best point of exposure uh, for Washington wines. And I think a great experience for people who are just getting into wine, whether their interest is specifically in Washington wine or just learning wine in general, um, there's almost no better place to taste uh, a wide variety of wines uh, in a short period of time than through that event. So as uh, somebody that's obviously probably been there before, how would you guide the person attending? Obviously, 300 wineries <laughs> <laughs> will require an Uber back uh, yeah. home. <laughs> but uh, how would you recommend that they navigate a, such a large event? Well, thankfully, a few years ago, they did move it from a one-day event to a two-day event. <laughs> And they so do come back. <laughs> yeah, they do sell tickets uh, for either day or for both days. So my first recommendation would be to buy a ticket for both days. Okay. The other strategy is they are thankfully very good about posting the list of wineries who will be featured ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So you can do a little homework and plot out your route through the tasting uh, in advance of getting there or, you know, focus on whites one day and reds the next or um, any number of strategies to help make the most of it. But again, it, it doesn't have to be for those uh, you know, already familiar with wine or with Washington wine. It's a great point of exposure for people just um, getting into wine. Ryan, you mentioned that you jumped into the deep end. What is it about the Northwest that gets people to do that? There's an element of the, the pioneering spirit that is really uh, woven into our DNA here in the Northwest. Um, you know, we are a group of people who were silly enough to get in a covered wagon and point ourselves in a direction where we had no idea what we were getting into and persevered and showed up in a place where it rains all the time and had to figure out how to make it work. And, you know, for those who were silly enough to follow in our tracks, um, they got here and there's this sense that we need to help each other out and find a way through this. Um, and I think that that pioneering spirit endures and is part of why you see so many groundbreaking and innovative companies that have been founded in the Northwest because that spirit really lends itself toward innovation, um, be it Boeing or Microsoft or Starbucks or Amazon or Chateau St. Michel. I think um, that drive, that will to succeed uh, is inherent in this region. And uh, you almost, even if you're not from here, you almost can't help but absorb that when you are here. 
Ryan, if you had two two purchases to make, one is a twenty dollar bottle of wine. The second, you have no limit. What would the wines be for those two purchases? Well, if I've got twenty dollars burning a hole in my pocket and I'm looking to get the best bang for the buck, you know, I hate to be uh, a homer here, but really you can't do better uh, in terms of quality for value than Washington State. Uh, so I think $20 is as well spent on a bottle of Washington wine as it is a bottle of wine from anywhere else in the world across producers. Uh, Washington delivers extremely uh, high-quality wine for the money. That said, if money is no object and I'm looking to impress someone in spite of incredible wines coming from every corner uh, of the world at this point, I personally find the wines of Burgundy to be just captivating. And the history of that region and the the nature of the production and the the scarcity of those wines uh, only lends to the mystique, but they can be uh, transcendent wines. And so if I've got endless resources, I would probably uh, stock up on Burgundy. Very cool. Um, Ryan, one, one more question. We have 50-year anniversary that just happened with Chateau Saint-Michel. In your opinion, uh, having been in the wine industry now for over 10 years, what does the next 50 look like for the wine industry, Washington, um, and, and the consumers? The one thing we can almost say for certain is that the quality of wine, not only in Washington, but from almost everywhere in the world, has never been better. There are wineries and regions producing outstanding wines, um, live literally from every part of the wine world. So thankfully, consumers can continue to enjoy uh, incredibly well-made wine uh, across almost every price point. Specific to Washington, in spite of now being a couple of generations in, Washington wine is still very much in its infancy, and um, we're still learning the best regions to grow wine and the best grape varieties to grow in those regions. Uh, and I think we're going to continue to see regional and varietal specialization when it comes to the sub-regions of Washington. Uh, and hopefully that will lead to another quantum leap in terms of wine quality from Washington. So I think we will see where now you can get great Cabernet from every corner of the state. You're going to see specific regions really rise to the top as those regions that are going to be known for Cabernet. And other regions are going to be more, um, become more known for uh, other varieties such as Syrah or Chardonnay or Riesling and so on. Well, talking about wine regions and, and specializations, can you tell us about what Red Mountain is about? Um, you know, we hear of Red Mountain, we see it on labels in bottle shops. What is it? Well, Red Mountain is one of those regions that certainly will, if it isn't already known this way already, uh, will become known as one of the state's 
great regions for Cabernet Sauvignon. Red Mountain itself is a small region in the uh, south central part of the state, only about a little over 2,000 acres of grapes planted in the entire region. Um, but it's one of the most distinct regions in the state as well. And it's one of the warmest, which is great for growing Cabernet, but the soil profile, the um, climate beyond just the heat, the winds um, there, the low rainfall, all contribute to really intense, powerful, distinctive Cabernet. And all of that at a price that is considerably less than what you would get from comparable quality Cabernet from a region such as Napa Valley. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you very much for sharing, Ryan. Thank you for being a guest at Sound Conversations Podcast. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you.